expect more from the companies that we work for. And leaders that don't recognize that you have to think of brands as human, the humanization of brands. The leader's temperament, style, personality permeates the business. The leader's character, sense of integrity become the culture that live inside the business. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. Our guest today is Arthur Jones and the title is Embracing the Power of Story in Your Brand and Your Leadership. Arthur Jones is a humanologist, new term for me. He's also known as a business strategy architect and a brand story architect. And today he's going to talk about the power of stories, not just the power of them, but ways to get back into integrating stories into our leadership, into our business, into our brands. He's going to talk about the importance of bringing more humanness into your leadership and some of the key shifts required today because of our new generation of workers, not just based upon age, but also this new remote and hybrid workforce. And most important, he's going to talk about the courage it takes to be a leader and to do the right thing in that moment as a leader. Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are thrilled to be back here today. We have a really special guest, Arthur Jones, and I had a chance to chat about a month ago. And I remember getting done, uh, getting near the end of the call and thinking, wow, we should have recorded that. Well, you know what? This is the way we just do that. It's called a podcast. And we are back here today <laughs> with Arthur. Arthur is a, he's got two companies. One is called The Art of Standing Out. The other is called The Art of Inbound Marketing, which is a marketing agency. And this is something I love about this description of Arthur, people-centric, growth-focused, business strategy architect. <laughs> and I also saw a reference to being a brand story architect. So we are going to talk about leadership, branding, storytelling. It is going to be rich. It is going to be fun. So welcome, Arthur. Thank you. And so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you. So Arthur, give us a little bit of the background story. Um, background story is um, I was born in New Jersey many years ago. No, that's too far back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I am from New Jersey. I went to Rutgers University after university. I, uh, I worked in healthcare for a little while with Blue Cross Blue Shield. But then I found my dream job at Xerox Corporation on the West Coast in California. And never sold copiers, always sold technology, and and have the good fortune to have learned a lot from Xerox about selling. Um, and at and at that time, the business card from Xerox could get you into a boardroom to talk to executives of Fortune 100 or Forbes 2000 kind of companies. And I learned so much more from them about <laughs> the technology that they had, how they used it, and how they want to be served by 
uh, a salesperson such as myself with technology that I was representing from Xerox. And what's funny is that experience is kind of really the proving ground or what's foundational to my appreciation for the work that I do as a brand story architect, uh, brand strategist, who believes that your brand stories become your business strategy. And I look at Xerox as the proving ground because I was selling, that's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But what I learned now in hindsight, when I look back at the biggest deals I ever did, I was coaching. And I was helping customers come to the realization that one, I was a pretty smart guy. Two, I was credible <laughs> and had integrity. And and three, I could communicate their challenges and my solutions in such a way where eventually they walked in the room and said, Art, okay, we get it. You know where our problems are. You found problems we didn't know we had, but you haven't told us what we're buying yet. And you know, I could call that coaching, but in reality, it was demonstrating leadership. Integrity, my first seeking to understand before I wanted to sell and be understood, and then communicating well. My top three things that I think all leaders should know how to do and do them well. I was doing it kind of unconsciously, but here, 20 years later, I look back at those days and realize that I had grown into being pretty, pretty good at being a, a good leader and helping customers find solutions that would help their businesses grow. Well, first, I love that you actually found your dream job. So many people miss out on that. And I've heard such great things about Xerox's training program, and especially in the sales side. I think Robert Kiyosaki went through the sales training there as well. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. And, you know, I I, I go back to all the training that I got. Leesburg, Virginia was a a training edifice (laughs) that's huge. And uh, a beautiful campus, deer galloping across, and we sitting in classrooms, all these Xerox folks getting some of the best sales training on the planet. But in retrospect, it was those boardrooms that taught me more than I ever got at that Leesburg training facility, because that was the real world. But if I had to pick one skill that Xerox really trained me early in my career on, it was effective listening. Mm. And you know, we all think of effective listening as slowing down, being intentional, paying attention. That's what Xerox taught. And we did a good job of leaning into listening, paying attention, uh, honoring the person speaking. Mm. What I learned from the boardroom, from the clients that I was serving was that, um, Arthur, do the work before you get here to, to know where the opportunities are. Kind of do a SWAT if you can. Yeah. So the questions you asked about from us are questions that fill the gaps in of your understanding of us. Mm. and then listen for the answer you expect to get. So do the work before you ask the question that allows you to listen to me speak. And that's the effect of listening now for me. So Arthur, you've, you've referenced it, but help us understand what do you mean when you talk about a brand story architect? What really is that? You know, I, 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 I think I dream I problem solve in story. And that's not unique to me. That's what we all do. Humans are wired for story and and that's how we use it. Um, Plato, 2,500 years ago, through observation on the the steps as he orated to his tribe, he realized that those who tell the stories rule society. Hmm. 
Why? Because humans are wired for story, right? The shamans would take you into a cave in Chouvet, France, 40,000 years ago with a flickering torch and the pictures of the galloping, the antelope that they painted on the walls with charcoal, because the flickering torch would make them seem to dance across the wall. Interesting. That for, for those people 40,000 years ago, it's probably like going to Burning Man, right? <laughs> those visual stories impacted the people that viewed them and participated in them in the same way that science now tells us that story can change the biology in humans. What I mean by that is, is that I tell you a, a story that's scary. Oxytocin is the hormone that flows in your bloodstream. Right. And when I tell you a story that that scary thing is now something that you can be empathetic toward, then, I mean, cortisol is the bad thing and oxytocin is the good thing. And you can tell stories that elicit those two hormones. Hmm. And if we can change the hormone content in the body, then story can change biology in humans. We should all be using it if it can do that. And um, I, I believe that uh, being a brand story architect, I'm tapped into the most primal instinct that we have as humans mm -hmm. and helping people get in touch with their own narrative, self-awareness, so they can really appreciate what they learn by just being self-aware. So then they can look at all the other people, internal customers, employees, and external customers that pay the bills and take the time to know them and be socially aware. Um, mm. So Brand Story Architect really is um, kind of the Johnny Appleseed of using story as a way to help people get in touch with their emotional intelligence, to be self-aware, socially aware, um, to lean into empathy, um, mm. compassion. Um, and all the other good things that are human skills that help us accomplish more. But it's interesting you just gave that list. What was coming to me as you were talking about story is a friend of mine back in Cleveland, Ohio, a number of years ago, wrote a book called The Stories That Connect Us. Mm. And I will tell you, if I can find it, because I used to have extra copies, I bought extra copies, I will send you a copy, Arthur. I, I just need to find them. And the book is just powerful to talk about all the things you did and how we connect. And in fact, one chapter was probably the saddest chapter I read. He was talking about his premise of stories in the context of Alzheimer's. Oh. And he said that what's happened is people lost their own self-connection to their stories. So they lost the essence of themselves because their life is just a series of stories. And we yeah. share stories, but we connect on a story level. And so I'm a believer in stories. I, mm -hmm. I think you and I experienced it when we talked a month ago or so, that all of our answers to questions were a story. Yeah. And I use I often give a, a a warning to people. I say, look, probably every question you ask me, I'm going to answer with a story. <laughs> so I, I want to go to this point though. It is our instinct, but I feel like we have lost our connection to story because I meet so many people that just go to data hmm. and I don't know where do you think it came from and how do we get back to story? <laughs> well, I, I think the, the analogy that I'll use is, you know, if we go back um, between World War I and World War II, we were still kind of an agrarian society. 
right? We would we were farmers and 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 we would lean on the fence post and talk to our neighbor after the day was done and the sun was setting for hours, right? <laughs> because the work was done for the day. And in the summertime, the sun didn't set until nine. So you might have hours. Today, those same neighbors only have nine seconds, the attention span of a goldfish, <laughs> to spend with each other. Wow. And there, there's data that says from 1979 to 2009, humans that were surveyed in North America lost 48% of the empathy that we were born with. Wow. That's a 50% deficit, which is amazingly crazy. And if we think about what that means, I mean, it's Zurich and Marshall McLennan, I think were the, the folks that did the survey. Levels of empathy fell 48% between 1979 and 2009. And the stat says that today, one in three people over 45 are lonely. Hmm. So if we think about somebody that's over 45, they're still employed in the workplace. They're sitting in a cubicle. Yesterday, they were sitting at home, separated from their cohort, right? Empathy had been diminished just because we have these tablets and mobile devices that we rely so heavily on. Teenagers go to bed with them. Yeah. They say goodnight to the phone, not to their mate. Right? <laughs> we're, we're virtually living together with people, but we're alone at the dinner table because we're looking down at our phone. Mm. We, we have, you know, Einstein said something really kind of quite prophetic. He said, I'll paraphrase, because I don't think I'll get it exactly right. That we, we have, we've, we worship the rational mind and we've forgotten the gift of intuition. Mm. So well intuition is a human skill. Empathy is a human skill. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, neural nets are rational tools. I believe that we can't, I'm a technologist, right? I've done that all my life and I, I, I appreciate technology. But technology now is advancing at such a clip. I mean, prior to this survey that I'm quoting, 1979 or 2009, um, at Intel, I, I forget the gent's name who said it, but he said, technology will advance every 18 months and be half as cheap. That was 60 years ago. That was more. More, right, Andy Moore. And, and here we are decades later, and it feels like it advances every 18 weeks. <laughs> right? It really does, and maybe, maybe more. And, and that's digital Darwinism. Digital Darwinism is when technology advances faster than people and businesses can keep up. Hmm. So you take the lack of empathy, we're losing it. You take digital Darwinism rising. And, you know, Boston Dynamics is making robots that work 24 7, 365 days a year, can jump higher, run faster, and dance better than I can. And they're coming for all of us. So, so what's left for us humans to do? We just simply have to lean into our human skills because computers, at least for the foreseeable future, maybe the next 50, 100 years, they won't have what we have. Empathy, if we can kind of reel it back in. Um, compassion, which will, will make this hybrid workforce that we're creating now, some working from home, some working in Costa Rica, some working in Manhattan. 
Mm. And if you were leading those teams, absent nurturing those human skills, how are we going to keep those 5,000 people that are part of our internal customer cohort, the employees, happy and productive and innovative and creative? Leadership today, I think, is certainly understand the, the technology because that's how we, we optimize and maximize the, and our, get ROI. But ROI and ROE, return on effort, effort, are two important things. But I've got a new acronym that I really fall, fell in love, fallen in love with uh, from a few years ago, is ROAR. <laughs> and leaders that know how to ROAR get and build return on authentic relationships. <laughs> That's awesome, Arthur. Right? Love that. If, if you're a leader and you can't get return on an authentic relationship you're building with your team, the people that you're leading, internal customers, employees, and external customers, perhaps more importantly, because they're the ones that pay everybody's freight, you're not really a modern leader because you're, you're missing a few of the opportunities to, to improve your position. Bye. It's really interesting because I, I typically think about roaring as, you know, you're, you're frightening other people, you're, you're about to pounce, you know, something like that. But I, I love the acronym. It's, it really makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good well, one. Arthur, you put a lot in there and I want to, I want to pull <laughs> some threads out of it. Um, well, one is I, I saw in, on your profile, a reference to the being a humanologist. And I think you were just describing that without using the word. So can you give a little more flavor to humanologist and what that's about? You know, I think this, it, I use story because it's the common denominator. We all, we all appreciate and understand. We all respond to it. Um, and a humanologist is someone that seeks first to understand and then be understood. So I want to understand the people that are in my universe that I need to call to action. I, I don't want to just simply go to the podium and tell them stories. A humanologist says, it's using human-centered design thinking, for instance. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to build a chair, I talk to the humans I'm building that chair for. And this chair is designed for somebody not over 6'6", under 300 pounds with this kind of physique. It's a very specialized chair for that person. There's a different chair for a preschooler. And if you design <laughs> with that preschooler in mind, you'll have an optimal chair that will give them the energy they need to survive the number of days there and hours they sit and study. Being human-centered or a humanologist makes every product you conceive not this beautiful ideation that just pops up and comes out of your head. It's a collaboration to co-create optimal because you talk to the customer that you're in service to and say, you know, I'm building chairs for people just like you. And here's what I've conceived of. What do you think? And I said, that's a beautiful chair, but I think it fits well and it, it's the right price, but I hate purple. <laughs> if you made it in orange, everybody like me would be crazy for that chair. So that's a collaboration that, I only know because I've engaged with the client, my ideal customer, to help collaborate with me to co-create the optimal solution for them. Well, see, you've That's already what a humanologist does. 
You've already connected because Jeff's favorite color is purple and mine's orange. Yeah. <laughs> Must have known. There you Must go. Have known. Set up. <laughs> so, wow, this is so much here. So you shared a lot about what's happened. I want to keep coming back to stories. You shared some reasons we've lost the stories. For me, I don't know that I lost it. I feel like I've been a storyteller and that, but I didn't grow up in a storytelling household necessarily. And I see so many people that I feel like are resistant almost. In fact, people, I judge people are afraid of stories and that hmm. somehow there's a safety in data. Stories. So here's, here's what I believe. If you had asked me that question five years ago, I would have stood on my soapbox and, and told you the power of story quoted uh, the Hopi Indians and Plato and the neuroscientists that are studying storytelling and how powerful it is. But what I realized five years ago was that although I think that I found a common denominator that gives me a way to engage with people and lead them to optimal performance, I also believe that LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram stories and TikTok stories have made storytelling ubiquitous in the way that Xerox, Xeroxing something, using toner on the paper, became ubiquitous. And you could Xerox on a Brother or a Canon or a Konica copier. I go to the, to the medicine cabinet. I don't really take aspirin, but if I was, I don't care if it's Advil or Tylenol. I just take it because it's aspirin. It's that thing that makes the headache go away. Story is arrived at the same place. It's become ubiquitous. We think we do it when we tell the story of what we just did at the park on Instagram. And that nine-second snippet is not enough for me to be a story. But right. we've, we've trained ourselves to believe that, hey, dude, come on, I put stories on TikTok every day. What do you want me to do with the story thing you're talking about? <laughs> so my pivot, Jeff, my pivot was, okay, people are really missing the point. And it goes back to my training, seek first to understand, then be understood. So I've come up with a, a model. I've broken story into four discrete pieces. Story listening, story building, story telling, and story selling. Hmm. Story listening means- List those again. I, List those one more time. Story listening. Story listening is me doing the work. When I talked about effective listening before, what I learned from the boardroom customers that I was calling on was that, hey, Art, do some work. Understand and read the 10K. Read our annual report. Do something before you show up here. We've invited you in. Now look smart. In order to be smart, you've got to do the work. Story listening. What's the narrative of that business? So it's preparation. What preparation. What are, what are they forecasting their goals are for this year? How do they perform with those goals in the prior years? Can you find something that looks like they're making a left turn where they've been on the this straight away? Are they doing it a pivot to something? Then you know what compelling question to ask mm -hmm. to get them to tell you the story of the business that you don't, but you need to know to be capable of adding value because you've studied everything else. But this one question, if they tell me an answer to that, I will have a better vision of, of where to go and how to help them. So story listening has become much more powerful. Story listening 
then precedes the story of building. Because if I listen to your narrative and I say, you know, uh, Craig, you're the CEO of this great company, and you know, I really appreciate that answer to that, that question. And with that answer, it looks like these six things, when taken together, the five I researched before I got here and the answer you just gave me, sounds like they affect the business this way. Is that right? And you say, you know, Art, that's funny. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happens. And I say, when that happens, then how does that affect something else? And so now you're, you're having a conversation and it's not me telling or selling. It's me seeking to have a collaborative conversation because you allowed me to enter the conversation by answering my question. Now we're kind of brainstorming. When that happens, what if you did these things? And they said, well, you know, we've tried something like that, but not that art. That's a collaborative conversation. So yeah. story, story listening leads me into a story building, which is the collaborating and co-creating value together. Art, you've told us about story listening and then story building, which is this collaborative conversation. So obviously that leads us to the storytelling. The storytelling, after you've done the collaborative work and the co-creation, the telling is just what platform do you want to spread the word on? Are, are, are people like that CEO all on LinkedIn or are some of them on, on Jeff's blog and that's where they go to get answers? Then I'll promote that my value on Jeff's blog, because I know all of my ideal customers are reading Jeff's blog, not on LinkedIn. The telling is the easy part. It's the promotion of the idea, promotion of my value. I added selling at the end because there are moments where you say, all right, you know, this is a million and a half dollar deal. And I, it just, I don't know if we can pull it off this quarter. And I say, you know, it's funny you should mention that because uh, six months ago, a company similar to yours, but uh, a little larger, had the same concern. And here's what they did. And here's what here's where they are six months later. <laughs> and and then you have a choice. You can either believe what I just told you and say, well, can I talk to them? And then maybe that referral helps me help you solve the problems that you've got. Story listening comes before story building. And those two are clearly uh, steeped in human-centered design thinking. It's all about collaboration, co-creation. And um, I think that I'm using a selling metaphor, but if I'm the leader calling on another company, if I'm the leader calling on a department head in my business, it's the same seeking to understand first and collaborating on the what ifs, what wows, and what's going to work. And that's the co-creation. So I think listening and building are material to what leaders do. And um, that's my on a mission to help people become more human-centered and use the listening, building, telling, and selling model. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Welcome back. 
So Art, you've talked about this idea of humanness or getting back to humanness, more human-centered. You know, talk about some ways that this humanness as, as at risk or has changed, especially in the context of the different work generations, as well as what we're now going to so much of a remote workforce. I mean, this really goes to leadership as well. Leaders, leaders that, that used to say, I've got nine votes, you've got one, that doesn't work anymore because the, the humans that they're leading in the internal customer, um, Gen Z, Gen X, millennials, boomers that are still employed, it's kind of like, uh, no, that, things are different now. That would have worked in 1999, but this is 2020, 2021. 2022. We come on, boss, get with it. And yes. and we all have heard, right? Is this the, the pandemic is waning, and 40% of employees in America are looking for new jobs. Really? That's the stat. I've not heard that. Six months ago, CFOs had decided that they like this virtual thing. And McKinsey and Company said CFOs were, were authorized to spend up to $50,000 and give their reports up to $50,000, buy anything, do your due diligence, but buy it if you can buy it online, buy it. Do not invite a salesperson into our, our office. Hmm. That's disintermediating of, self, disintermediation of salespeople. Cultural shift. So what happens on the, the sales team that has 15 salespeople in 150 person company, five of them go away, right? When Apple built that beautiful edifice in Silicon Valley, the new corporate office, $30 billion. The ring. The, the floor to ceiling glass, three stories tall, and, you know, the doors that open to the cafeteria. Tim Cook sent a letter to all of the employees and said, Eureka guys, I am such a good leader. You can stay at home on Mondays and Fridays, but on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you'll be here. That was better than Jamie Dimon on Wall Street who said, come back all five days, be here or be square. I want you all back in September. People revolted against Jamie Dimon. 2,500 Apple people sent a letter to Tim Cook and said, you know, Tim, that's not how we feel. We've discovered during the pandemic that we are very productive at home. <laughs> and, and we don't have a commute. Um, it's been more efficient, and I'm healthier mentally. And we don't want to come back on your schedule. We want to come back on our own schedule. And and those two, Jamie Diamond, Tim Cook, set the tone for what the workers who now are empowered, because any they, people were moving to Hawaii, moving to Alaska, working from wherever the heck they wanted to. Everybody became a digital nomad. Mm -hmm. And now trying to get them back on the farm. So leadership says, I, and Jamie Dimon basically said, I've got nine votes, you've got one. September should drop dead date, be back here. Culturally, we know the culture on Wall Street, right? It's, you know what, what it feels like to work there. It's high pressure, it's intense, and you make high risk, high reward. Culturally, businesses in outside of Wall Street, um, we expect more from the companies that we work for. And leaders that don't recognize that you have to 
Humanologist was the, the theme that we were talking about. Think of brands as human, the humanization of brands. The leader's temperament, style, personality permeates the business. The leader's character, sense of integrity become the culture that live inside the business. You said something in there that I don't hear a lot of people say. I, I know it's something that I've shared before, and it's one of these that I'm surprised more people don't think about it. And you talked about, imagine if your customers were listening to our conversations. Yeah. And to me, that is the simplest way to focus on what my culture is and to decide if I'm walking the talk. To imagine that our customers, our clients, Listen to every comment. I tell people, assume they hear every word you say in here. Yeah. And is it okay with you? And how would they react to that? Because everything you say that's against your customers comes across whether they hear it or not. Yeah. That experience of the sales process. And I, I just, I thought it was awesome to hear that, that I you've just asked yourself the question, what if our customers are listening right now? And you, you also have the same corollary of, when you're talking about your customers, you're also talking about our employees, our people and behind closed doors. What are you saying about your people? Are they idiots or are they superstars? It's, there, there's a, a colleague that um, works in the Northeast and a, a large bank in Brooklyn hired her to do uh, diversity and inclusion work. DEI. A lot of money they paid her. Um, it was a great big bank, and it was a huge initiative. And I think a day or two before the launch, the board, uh, a board member, walked up to her and said, you know, this is really amazing. You've done amazing work. We're so excited. But we want you to present the idea. We don't want to, we're not going to step to the podium. And the disconnect, the employees knew that this was a foot, this was taking place. Um, the customers, perhaps not yet, but the employees knew. And when the leadership stepped away from the podium and wanted to push a outsider to lead, it signals to the workforce that you wanted to do this inclusive thing because you know that it inspires creativity and innovation. We got that. But all of a sudden, it looks like you're really not in it. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you spent all this money. You've, you've, they, we've had surveys. We've had conversations. We've had workshops. and now. The fact that you're not going to stand at the podium and orchestrate this, it looks performative to us, and we're smart employees. So leadership is, is, is not being performative. It's not like a magic show. Nothing up my sleeves. Look what I – it's actually doing the work, and it's hard, and it requires – I'd like to think that – I, I talk about integrity, emotional intelligence, and communication a lot as my top three. But above all of those, it's probably to have the courage to do the right thing sometimes. Mm. I think we all have the same opportunity to stand on the shoulders of who came before us, taught us our lessons, mentored us, trained us. And memory of those things where we fell down or got bitten by something that we shouldn't have done. We know we'll not do that again. We got burnt, once burnt, twice shy. And that becomes our North Star that guides us. That's integrity. And then we lean into nurturing our emotional intelligence 
And, and then because we do that, we become socially aware and we, we listen before we speak. You know, if our mouth is moving, then we're not listening. And, and that listening makes us a better communicator. And it's not something just for leaders. It's not Craig coming into my office and saying, Art, we've had this conversation about you moving up to become a leader. Now's the time. Congratulations. <laughs> I should have been thinking of myself as a leader long before that. Right. Uh, you know, even if the captain of the team using athletics as a metaphor and, and I'm the wide receiver, I'm not the captain. I'm just, I just catch the ball. But if I don't do all the work to behave as the leader in that role, I'm letting myself and my team down. And I think that's what I believe this listening, building, telling and selling methodology gets me to help people connect with is the fact that I've got a pretty compelling story is what they say when I have them listen to their own narrative. And with that narrative that now I really paid more attention to than I have ever before, Art, I really feel empowered to go do that thing for those people over there. But I'm going to collaborate with them to build a better thing. I want them to participate with that servant leadership. And um, with MIT Sloan and the World Economic Forum kind of believe what I believe. Right, let me say it differently. I believe what they believe. They did, the <laughs> they, they did the survey. They spent the money. I just read the survey. And the survey says that workers now say, it's a 2020 survey, they care more about mindfulness, meditation, compassion than they do about AI machine learning and neural net. Hmm. That blew my mind because we know the technology's coming, but I think we sense and, and feel that, that loss of empathy and we want it back, right? We, when the World Trade Centers fell in North America, we nested for a year after that. We held our loved ones close and we, we felt more empathetic toward everyone. We were more of a community. The pandemic has done something similar, but now we've got a host of other challenges that without empathy, we won't get through. So, um, and empathy is a human skill. So a humanologist wants us all to lean into our human skills. So maybe we can, <laughs> you know, empathy will help us get through the VUCA. The VUCA is the volatility, uncertainty, chaos, and ambiguity that's in the world today. And um, we're not solo uh, actors. We do it together. So what about the people that don't necessarily subscribe to what you just said, that, that they're not working on their emotional intelligence, that they're prone to uh, anger outbursts, they're prone to just not playing nicely with others. Do you see that often in, in the organizations that you work with first? And then second, when somebody is blind to their actions, how do you help them see? <laughs> um, well, that's a great question. And there's, there's somebody that's a, that's a coach that, that I know that does almost a million dollars a year. Her practice is built exclusively on having difficult conversations. And it's when the board says, 
we love Joe. He just drives the business so so well. He's the best. He's the reason we're profitable. But he's awful. He's not good with people. We need to fix right. it. We want you to go have a difficult conversation, not to let them go, but the challenging conversation to say, Joe, your people love you, but they don't love you. You've yeah. got to fix it. That's at the senior level, but it cascades down through the organization. And I think that if it's true that that analogy I gave of the bank in Brooklyn that decided not to step to the podium and the employees kind of mm-hmm. looked and said, hmm, they're not in it with me. Hmm, too bad. In the same way, when you see a corporation or a business of any size that has one leader that's just simply a butthead, yeah. technical term, it affects the culture of the business and the savvy humans that we are. We can see buttheads at 100 paces and we try to avoid them. And that affects, as an employment brand, when you have a person like that in your business, it, it, it's like an invisible shield. People will bounce off of it because they'll go to Goodreads and they'll say, or whatever that platform is where people say the truth of what's going on behind closed doors at a business. And they'll say, yeah, well, there's a great, great company, great product, but we've got Sally. And Sally is, and people will not work for you if that's the culture that you build in spite of the talent that that person might have. Mm-hmm. Using the Jahari window, which is imagine the four pane window and it's like the Gartner magic quadrant. There's things you know about me that I know about me. Um, There's things I know about me that you don't. There's things you know about me that I don't know about me. Like the whole time I've been on this call, I've had my finger in my nose. I don't know I'm doing it, it's unconscious. But you're looking at me saying, seems like a smart guy, but why has he got his finger in his nose? Those are in the Jahari window is this four quadrant that for the people that are rising that are going to have leadership positions that need to lead other people, they need to have a self-awareness to find out how people perceive them and how they think of it. Self-awareness and social awareness. The Jahari window is kind of a, an accelerant to get people to think about that self-awareness and social awareness and see where they score. And if they're smart, then they're going to be open to moving those quadrants to be more open and more engaging. I I would love to believe that. Convince me, Arthur, because you said those people are going to get lost. I would say that's not true today because there's not a rising tide to wash them away. That group is the tide today. I, I think that I, I read something about this generation alpha. So, so I think you're right, Jeff. I will agree with you because it's, it's a mess out there. And that's why I, I have no shortage of people that need this notion of leaning into human skills. But the generations that are coming up now have, this is not the millennial generation. There's generation X, Z, and alpha. Alphas are in eighth grade. Right. In in 10 years, they're coming. Any business that doesn't see them coming with the expectations that they have and doesn't begin changing their culture to embrace them and the one that's before them that's graduating from college this year, their expectations are different than our parents' expectations and different than mine. They expect more and they demand more. 
they're the ones that rally around Patagonia and not the other maker of similar product because Patagonia shares their values. I can see that with my son who's a college student. Yeah, and when a company tells you, you know, I'd love to have your business, but this is me and I'm going to do me. Okay, fine. Well, then there's a tribe for that. It's like, do you want to be the red hat ladies and the red hat ladies will follow you. But if, if you want a broader audience, um, then you, you've got to have a corporation, the humanization of the brand, your corporation, has to mirror the values of the people in the market that you want to serve. If it doesn't, go find another server. Yeah. So let me ask you about that, what you just said, in the context of another challenge you identified earlier, or at least I see it in what you said. You made a reference to the shoulders we stand on. Yeah. And that's absolutely true. It's, 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 well, it's true today. It will always be true. We stand on those shoulders before us yeah. and they provided a foundation. And what I visualized as you were sharing that a metaphor hit me was, so there's the leaders before and there, someone's up on their shoulders, but they're handing them leadership tools and skills that those people up that are here today, leading, managing, learn from them. And those people that they watch lead did not lead for the most part the way you're talking. The demand is here now. I agree. The question is, I think is where the courage comes in to be aware that there's a shift and to say, I'm willing to lead differently than I was led because otherwise the people who are coming up, let's say the millennials now, they're being led today by people who may not still be human. (laughs) <laughs> that's going to be quite a cliff, right? Because they get on their shoulders and say, but you succeeded. And if I, if I believe that I have to do that to succeed, there's a lot of pull to lead that way. So, so here, here's, I'm, 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 I take a different tact. So I agree with you, Jeff, a hundred percent. But my, my perspective on, on when I think of that shoulders comment that I make, whose shoulders you stand upon, I'm thinking of, my North Star, where my integrity comes from. Of, of, of in my, my origin story of my integrity, which is really a personal story I rarely share, it comes from my grandmother, who was, a, a, I remember her as a great gardener. She threw amazing parties where long tables and, you know, um, she, she would have these great dinner parties, but at the end of the evening, she would take her china teacup and turn it over and read tea leaves like a gypsy. I was like, whoa. And those things I remember then being kind of an awe of, I was very young, but I, I remember them and I'm connected to the more organic things in life. And my, I think my kind of quasi-vegetarianism, my lifestyle has really been informed by that, those shoulders that I stand upon. That was gifted to me and I carry it forward. My daughter, my children get it from me, but it started with her. So. Here in Tucson, Arizona, there's there's a uh, three industries: aerospace, Boeing, uh, blue hairs that come in from the Midwest in the in the, the the wintertime, and the University of Arizona basketball powerhouse from Lou Tosin days. There's a department called dendrochronology there. That it was the first department of dendrochronology anywhere in a university on the planet. I saw something come across my desk when I first moved here. I took a docent-led tour 
this department. You walk in this big, beautiful building and there's a slab of a sequoia, 16 feet wide by 16 feet tall. And in the rings of those tree, are little flag, flags, and you can see the flags, but they're behind a velvet red rope. But there's a, a placard that shows the corresponding flag, what it means. And that flag over there is when the Magna Carta was signed. Here's the Revolutionary War. Here's when the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. And you're like, whoa, old tree. Then I went upstairs to this tour and there's a guy that he's probably 6'4". He's got gray hair, little professorial glasses and a ponytail. And he comes out with a box about guy long and he says, in this box, is a piece of petrified wood from Vesuvius. And we knew when Vesuvius, the volcano erupted, so we know exactly how old this timber is. And we count the rings and we can, we can see what the weather was like going back in time. I'm like, mind blown. I'm working on story at the time. I said, there's gotta be some way I can use this as metaphor for the work that I'm doing. And I have this to say about tree rings. Tree rings happen every year with the seasons. We have tree rings. And when we take stock of the rings in our own trees, right, we can count our successes and our failures. We can talk about the mentors, our Cub Scout leader, our uncle, our mom, our dad, our college roommate. Where were those lessons come from? And we take stock of them. Then we are self-aware in a way that we know what our integrity is made from. And doing that work, sensitizes to the fact that everybody in our organization and every customer we're trying to serve has a, a narrative story, something like that. Maybe not like ours, but they too have a story. And if we take the time to listen, to seek to understand that narrative, then we can engage them at a level and communicate with them if we need to call them action in the way that they'll respond to. I love the story of the rings and what came to me is the challenge of leadership, the possibility of leadership, but the challenge of leadership, because those rings are deeply embedded. And we're talking about leading and being differently despite those rings. And some of those rings serve that new way and some do not. They're inconsistent. Yeah. And so that make, that's a reminder that leadership, and I, we often say that, uh, leadership is challenging. Everybody has the ability to lead and it takes courage, whether they're in a position or not in a position. And like you said earlier, doing that right thing and being knowing what that is ahead of time. So God, this is so rich, Arthur. I know we could go on and on. Uh, I'd say though, it, it's, it's almost like donkey though. You know, it's no, no, it's not like cake. It's, it's an onion, right? You get peeled, peel back the onion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think Craig, that, that nails it. And I think and the one thing that I, I, I should, I should add this because I think as a leader, if I've got 5,000 or 50,000 employees, each department has a narrative and a story, the yeah. humanization of that department, what's the culture in that department. And as the leader of this vast enterprise, I have to really understand that I'm infusing a culture into the business, but there are pockets where it's not catching on and why. Mm -hmm. How do I build dream teams that I can have people in place that are aligned with my vision? So my my ethos, my culture permeates into each division, to each team, to each individual. And, and absent, I mean, some of us are ideators. We're great creatives. Some of, the, some of us are built to execute. We care about process and execution. 
and and having those people in place so so the leader so the team can the cohort on that team can accomplish more if you got a team of six people that are all ideating <laughs> nothing really ever gets done great ideas yeah, right. but and so this notion of empathy that we're lacking and we need to nurture and lean into psychometric tests can help us figure out what type people are and bring to their job and i think we should do that because if the if the the strategies over here and the goal we want to reach is over there and we put the wrong team with the wrong makeup in between that there's a terrible shortfall and then we you know the the cfo looks at the books and smart ones can see that it's not a, a supply chain issue yeah that's causing day sales outstanding it's a people issue up up here and i think in the books the numbers don't lie. It's typically people. It's not process. It's the people and getting the people right. This is so good, Arthur. Um, we always want to wrap up by giving our guests an opportunity to promote something that's going on for you or your business. So what is that for you today? Um, for me today, I, I don't have a date quite yet, but you can follow me on LinkedIn and, and you'll, you'll be aware from it there. I'm Art Jones one in that LinkedIn ecosystem. And um, I'm, I'm taking all of that I've talked about today. And um, I really want to get it out of the, the, the C-suite and bring it to the executive coaches that are in service to the people in those businesses that we talked about wanting to change and bring value to. So I want to train them with this to empower them to go be of service, to build more servant leaders in the world. That's a course that I'll be launching in July. Awesome. Well, for executive coaches us. almost exclusively. Yeah. Well, update us on that because this will be coming out in a couple of weeks. And if you've got a specific reference, but we'll certainly include that. Thank you. Is LinkedIn the best way for people to connect with you as well? Uh, yeah, well, Art, um, the itsyourstorylab.com is the website and you can find me there as well. We always wrap up with a question. And my question for you today is, Arthur, who is it that you would love to have dinner with living? And what's the one question you're going to make sure to ask them? Um, that's really a good one. I think that I would want to talk to President Obama. It's an easy answer. It's, I think if I had more time, I would come up with another, but I think President Obama talk about his, his years as a president and his years now after would be interesting for me. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here. And, and as we tell all our guests, thank you more importantly for the work you're doing in the world. We appreciate it. And you. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I, I love talking about storytelling in particular, but I think all roads lead to leadership. Absent being a great leader um, or committing to do the work to be a, a better leader, um, we're missing an opportunity. And, and kudos to you and Craig for having a great show that focuses on that, the craft of, of leadership and helping people see opportunities to, to get better at it. So thanks for having me on. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, 
we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.